0: Calling all detectives. A transcontinental train, a pretty girl, and a revolver slipped into a handbag. Those are the exhibits on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. A private detective like me, Jerry Browning, soon learns there's no sense in using violence. Where gentler methods are just as good. The Super Comet all-bedroom train is the pride and joy of Wilbur Norris, the Great Valley Railroad's first vice president. At 3.50, twice a week, Wilbur Norris stopped whatever else he was doing and personally supervised his pet train's departure. Look at those people, Browning. The finest passengers in America. Extra fare. What I wanted to talk to Mr. Norris about was whether the Great Valley would consider hiring me on an annual retainer. But this wasn't the time to open the subject. Instead, it's a fine train, Mr. Norris. Wish I were riding it myself. Best train in the country. Look at that, Browning. I looked where Norris pointed and saw a big, florid-faced man come stalking along the platform followed by three baggage-laden porters. As the traveler drew abreast of us, he paused to look at one of the prettiest girls I've ever seen. She was small, blonde, dynamic. And at the moment, talking to a sallow, bespectacled young man. Pull aboard! The florid man and his retinue of porters got on the train. At the same moment... A blonde girl flung her arms about a companion in a touching farewell. Norris beamed. I love to see people happy, riding in a fine train like Hick! Browning. Did you see that? I saw it all right. As a blonde girl kissed a companion on the cheek, the man slipped a revolver into her handbag. Then the girl broke away and entered the car, the same car the florid faced man had gone into. Norris grabbed my arm. Browning, I won't stand for anything like that on my train. Come on! We are getting on board! When Wilbur Norris, vice president of the Great Valley Railroad, saw a young woman passenger get a revolver just before she got aboard his pet train, he decided we were also going on the train. But, Mr. Norris, we haven't any clothes with us. No space to sleep in. Anyway, you can't go up to strange young women and ask them why they're carrying revolvers. Norris turned a frosty glare on me. Don't bother me with trifles, Browning. Your job is to get that gun. Yes, sir. Norris wheeled as the train and Pullman conductors came up to us. I'm Wilbur Norris. This is Mr. Browning, our special investigator. Cooperate with him. Norris turned and marched off in the direction of the club car. I was on my own. I decided it was time for some explanations. Look, conductor, there's a girl in this car up to some funny business. When you get to her space, make a change with somebody else, anybody. Just so I get a chance at a quick frisk of a handbag. I'll say this much for the conductor and nothing fazed him. At the girl's room. Conductor, miss, an error's been made. You'll have to change space. My assistant will transfer your luggage. She made no trouble about it when the conductor went into his routine at the next bedroom. You can't make me change. I'll take it up with the president of the line. Yeah? It was a florid-faced man, and his tirade halted abruptly when he saw the girl. Why, for this sweet little lady, I'd be happy to change. Permit me, miss. Let me help you with your baggage. As I stepped forward, I got the red-faced man's shoulder hard against my chest. Step aside, boy. I'm helping this little lady. The two conductors and I stood by helplessly as the big man introduced himself to the girl, Forrest Dendridge, inquired and learned her name, Nanette Wescott. She gave him about 20,000 volts from big, grateful eyes. And from that moment on, he was a gone goose. In the club car, I sat drinking ginger ale while Wilbur Norris concentrated on glaring across the aisle at Dendridge and his newfound girlfriend. They were drinking highballs, seemed delighted with each other's company. Yes, ma'am. Made 300000 on that little deal. Inside stock info. A girl smiled up at him. Norris moved his lips in soundless rage. I mumbled, take it easy, Mr. Norris. This is no spot to start anything. The spot came about 20 minutes later when Dendridge needed cigarettes, walked back toward the bar. I got up across the aisle. Listen, miss, I know you're carrying a gun in your bag. If you start anything on this train, I... She slapped me. Just like that, a hard, stinging blow. A moment later, I felt a hand grab my shoulder, spin me around, and... <laughs> I'm sorry, Nanette. They let anybody ride trains these days. Shall we go have dinner? I picked myself up off the floor. Norris gave me a long, hard, cold stare. Burning, I am not pleased with you. Norris went in to dinner about seven o'clock. I just sat in the club car and brooded. At that moment, I didn't care whether I never got another Great Valley case or whether blunt menaces plucked whole trainloads of rich, loud-mouthed braggarts. As for the gun and a bag. A gun in her bag. The cool way she slapped me down. Of course. I grinned, relaxed, and lit a cigarette. I had a late dinner, then hung around the corridor of the car where both Dendridge and Annette had their rooms. They were in the club car. But about 10.30... It was the girl, Nanette, alone. She went directly to the room Dendridge had been assigned, opened the door, went inside. A few moments later, Dendridge came staggering along, opened the door to his room, and let out a bellow of rage. That's when I went into action. I found what I expected, Dendridge's briefcase open and paper strewn about the room, and Dendridge struggling with a girl who was trying to get the revolver out of a bag. This time, I yanked Dendridge around and... send to the girl. Grab the stuff you need and get out of here quick. I've already told the conductor to let you off at an emergency stop. You can take care of yourself from there on. The girl gave me an appraising look, nodded, then swiftly made a selection of the papers and slipped out into the corridor. A couple of minutes later. Well, that was almost all. I left Dendridge's room, found Norris, and hustled him into one of the baggage cars, and we stayed there until the train made its first regular stop. And when he protested, Mr. Norris, have you heard about guys who made a lot of money during the war and never bothered to declare their incomes? The tax department likes to collect from people like that when it can get evidence, and there's nothing like a pretty girl agent against guys like Dendridge, if you understand what I mean. Norris understood all right. About a week later, there was a small paragraph in the papers about a Mr. Forrest Dendridge, who had voluntarily declared an additional $900,000 in income, piously paid his tax, and a walloping big fine as well. That was all. But a week after that, I got a letter appointing me a special investigator for the Great Valley Railroad on an annual retainer basis. Like I said, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And when a honey-like Nanette packs a gun... You can be pretty sure she's after a bigger game than flies. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives Mystery Drama, Mystery Quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective.